Father God, we come together this morning to worship you, to yes, honor Lord. you. Um, Praise you, Father. Your word declared, Father God, to come and sing a new song to the Lord. God, and we are here to celebrate God's life. Yes. We are here to celebrate miracles. Thank you, Lord. You're still working. You are a God of miracles, Father God. Lord, we are thankful, Father God, that Alana is doing great, Father God. Praise God. Touch her body, Father. I pray that this young girl, Father, would know and will continue to, as I see video of her worshiping you, Father God, that she will be a worshiper, Father God, that she will continue to honor you, Father God, in her young age, Father. So we thank you for what you do, and I pray for her parents, Father God, that they will continue to be faithful to you as well, Father. And we are so thankful, Father God, that um, Sherry and their kids are doing good, Father, that you did you save them, that you protect them yes. for a horrible situation, Father God, and I pray that you will continue to strengthen her physically, mentally, and spiritually, Father God, and Lord, as we come together to worship you, to honor you, to hear from you, God, can you give us eyes to see in the spiritual realm, Father God? Can you give us ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to his bride, Father? Yes. Lord, can, can, can you Lord, help us to be humble and that it will be less of us and more of you. Yes, Father. Lord, can we desire more of the light? Can we will keep our eyes on you, Father? And yes. the things above and not in the things of this earth, Father God. Yes. Can you, Holy Spirit, give us conviction where conviction is needed? Can you change us from the inside out, Holy Spirit? Yes. As you have been doing from the moment that we cry out to you and we surrender, Father God. Lord, because we know that you are worthy. We know that Preach. you are holy. We know that you are the only God, the true God, the God of miracle, the God that can make all things new Yes. when we surrender. So we are here, Father God. We lay down everything at the foot of the cross, Father God. Preach. And we say, Lord, Thank here you. we are. Cleanse us, watch us, make us clean. Do with me whatever you want to do, God. I am yours. We are your servant. You are the master. You are the king. You are the Lord. We cry out to you, Lord Jesus, because we need you. Without you, we are nothing. Jesus. Nothing without you, God. I can't do no. I can't even take a breath without your permission, God. Mm. So, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor this morning. Have your way. Uh, like the Bible says, Father God, how beautiful are the feelings of those who bring the good news, Father God. I pray that you... Bless your servant and strengthen him physically, mentally, and spiritually, Father God, and that he will speak with boldness, that he will always be strong and courageous, Father God, and will go forward to spread the gospel, Father. So we are here to go and to hear from you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
mention of the name The spirit is moving Burning like a flame Healing broken By the one we proclaim
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this new day, Lord. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Father, that your love endures forever and that it is your desire that none shall perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance, Father. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Father. God, as we, Father, feel the conviction as the Holy Spirit leads us to repentance, God, that we would not resist the Holy Spirit. Father, we would obey. Pray, God, that you would search our hearts, and Father, that you would know us. God, that you would try us and test us, Lord. See if there's any wicked way within us, Father. Father, we don't want to live lives that grieve you, but Father, we want to live lives that honor you. For if we are in Christ, we are new creations. We have been born again. We're not to continue to live off of the decay and the filth of this world and from the desires from our flesh. But now we are to live as children of God. Those who have been engrafted into your Family, Father, adopted in, given the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. So, Father, may our time be pleasing to you this morning. And, and Father, may we walk out different than how we walked in. That we would continue to seek you, knowing that we shall find you if we seek you with our whole heart. So come, Lord. Thank you that you're among us. Thank you that you're within us. We thank you, Father, for your kindness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Repentance. As we have been rotating through the Sundays and will continue throughout this year. The three R's in which I've laid before us that in time of prayer leading up to 2021, this new year, I felt the Lord laying these three out and for me to share them and keep them before us in hopes that they are encouraging us to grow and to mature as Christians. So now we're back to just looking at the first R, repentance. Of course, the three R's are repentance, resolve, and to release. But as far as repentance, it is the action of repenting, a sincere regret or Remorse. It's a turning away from and going in a completely different direction. So some of the scriptures that are shared with us regarding repentance. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joel chapter 2 verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18 verse 32, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord, Repent and live. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 through 11. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow lacks repentance. It results in spiritual death. Oh, how vital repentance is. And how I keep continuing, keep, we'll continue to keep reminding us it's just not a one-time prayer. No, it's every day. It's a lifestyle. It is who you are. And it's not a burden. It's not a heavy-weighted um To keep you bound. Repentance sets you free. If you're finding it to be bondage, if you're finding that that word seems to stir up strife or unsettledness within you, it's because you're not fully grasping and understanding the means of how the Lord cleanses us and draws us to Himself to die to the old so that you may live in the new. Repentance. It's a turning away from. It's a death. It's daily dying to self. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He was purposed to do. To convict us. To lead us into all truth and righteousness. And so it's not a bad word. It's not an oppressive word. No, it's a liberating word. Repentance. To turn from. To have a a, a sorrow and a deep regret. To truly see the the error of your ways. (laughs) To truly see that the desires that are from within you, that old man, that old woman, is in complete rebellion to the one who loves you, who has created you, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He sustains us. He keeps us. He loves us. And in that love, you find repentance. So let's not make light of repentance. Let's not treat it as a one-shot deal. I said a little prayer. No, repentance, again, I can't keep stressing it enough. It is a lifestyle. And as I keep encouraging us and reminding us, I want us to get to the end of 2021 
matured growth should be seen within you. You're not going to be finished because we're not perfect until we're with Him. We're not perfected until we're with Him, but we ought to be maturing. You ought to be growing. You ought to see significant growth in your life as a Christian. I've always encouraged us, if you're not seeing growth, if your Christian life is no different than it was an hour ago, a day ago, a month ago, or a year ago, something's wrong. Because Christians grow. Christians mature. Christians continue to have a deeper desire and longing to be with their Creator, with their God, with Jesus. He is our hope. And we're not to have a divided heart. No, no, no. It is our whole heart. It is our whole being. Because the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? Are you honoring Him? Are you seeking Him? What are you doing with the old nature when it's lurking around when it's crying out, when its desires is, are inflamed, when the world is, a, is enticing, when the enemy comes breathing down your neck, <laughs> do you know who you are? And the only way to know who you are truly is to know who He is. Because if you're in Christ, that is your position. A position of authority and a position of power and a position of victory and a position of being redeemed. It is a position of salvation, of holiness, honoring God, loving God, serving God. And so you're learning how to war. You're learning how to live. You're learning how to remain upright in a crooked and perverse generation. I continue to remind us, you were meant for today. And if it's God's will, if you have breath in your body tomorrow, you're meant for tomorrow. As long as you have breath in your body, you are purpose for this chaotic world. And the purpose is to bring glory and honor to Him, not just to feast. And give yourself over to that which will destroy you. And I continue to remind us, the flesh only knows how to do one thing, and that is to die. The flesh demands its right to hold on and to remain in a state of rebellion towards its creator and to feast off of that which will kill it. Think about that. Your old nature wants nothing more than to remain in control because its desire is death, not life. How crazy is this? It is a spiritual battle, and we must awaken to spiritual truth. The Bible says in Ephesians that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. And I keep saying to us, it's sad that the occult, that the people that are out in the world have a better understanding of the spiritual realm than Christians. And how sad is that? Because we are children of God. Our eyes are to have been opened. 
We are to understand the significance of the hour that we're in, the urgency of the hour that we're in, the day in which we were created for to be the light in a dark world. And I continue to encourage us, it is only going to get darker, more chaotic. But the good news is, the church is still here. You are still here. You are to be the light. You are to serve. You are to love. You are to be a standard of righteousness. To some, you will be that fragrance of life. To others, you will be the stench of death. But it's okay, because ultimately it's not you. It's Christ. You are to bear witness. You are to carry the light into the darkened world and proclaim the goodness of our Lord and the land of the living to honor Him, to love Him. It is vital that you are living a life of repentance. That repenting is a common action in your life every day, every hour, every moment if need be. Allow Him full access to your heart and to your life. And don't see it as something that's burdensome, but see it as what it is. It's life-giving. It's life-giving. Stop craving death. Stop craving the filth of this earth and start desiring to live. Be born again. Call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Have that faith, have that belief and that confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. That is to define you. That is how you are to be living. That's how you're to be making decisions. That's how you're supposed to go forth. This new thing, this newness of life. You're no longer in rebellion towards Him. No, now you long to love him because you see him for who he is he's God you all let's turn to some scriptures today that I hope would encourage you to continue to persevere go to Romans chapter 10 verse 5 through 13 scriptures to encourage you to persevere Romans 10, verse 5 through 13. Salvation is for everyone. Listen to this from the Word of God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you 
openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, what good news is there this morning. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And I love the understanding in which the word of God gives us that he who begins this work in us, he is the one who is faithful to complete it. This life now in Christ is not lived out in your strength. It's lived empowered by him. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead in you. You have the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. You've been born again of the Spirit. God himself inside of you. Leading you. Day by day. That's why we are called not to live lives that grieve him. That we are to walk in step with him. So that we're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. You feel that weight of conviction. You are to honor him. And you are to live by faith. And you are to see the goodness of the Lord who has given salvation to all who will call upon Him. For so long now all we hear and all we have understood before Christ was how bad God was. And how He was going to strike everyone down. And all we heard and all we conceive and perceive is His wrath. But when you understand the fullness of God, you understand his, the wrath side of God, you get a better picture of His love. His love, and that's why I keep encouraging us. When your eyes are open, when God is pleased to reveal Himself to you through His Son Jesus, you respond by faith, by belief, by open confession, that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead, the way you get to that understanding is because you perceive and you understand His great love towards you that saves you from His wrath. Oh, you've got to understand the fullness of God. He is a God of love and He's a God of wrath. And even in His wrath, He's a just God. He's not a schizophrenic God. He's a just God. And His wrath is just. It's because people have chosen to respond in rebellion towards Him. He has done everything to reveal Himself, and yet they will still say, you're not God. And as it was with Satan and the other angels who tried to rebel 
against his throne to overtake his throne and they were cast down and cast out. They were meant for his destruction. And so it will be for the created men and women who continue to live enslaved to sin and to their old nature. We're all born into that nature. But only a few will respond to the love of God. To the love of God. That saves them from His wrath. He took upon His own wrath to save us. Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to redeem mankind, the created. He came knowing that we will we were in complete rebellion towards him. He knew what was set before him, and yet he came because of his love, compelled him to come and to redeem mankind. To take us and, 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 and back to how what we were meant for, what we what who were we created for? We were created for him. We were created to be in communion with our Creator, not to live lives apart from him. Oh, we gotta wake up. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18 through 31, the wisdom of God. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Ha, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified... The Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. But, uh, praise the Lord, to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Oh, would you highlight that? Would you circle that? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, this Foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, 
that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Do we hear what scripture is saying to us? Do we understand uh, how vital it is that you are living in the newness of life and that by faith you believe it's not your religious works, it's not your church attendance, it's not you showing up when you want to show up, it's not you creating a God for you to serve who really is no God at all. Just because you slap Jesus on your God doesn't make him Jesus and doesn't make you a Christian. It's God's work in you. It's God's work transforming you. There is to be fruit in your life. And as I spoke about last week, we can't be the fig tree just with leaves. Remember, Jesus cursed the fig leaf because it was supposed to have fruit. And as it is with your life. Just because you can post a scripture, just because you can say a prayer, just because you can, oh, God has blessed me today, and just because even if you can do whatever and say whatever, but if it's not truly who you are, it means nothing. It means nothing. There is to be fruit. There is a life change, transforming difference within you. The dark ways, the rebellious ways, the filth of this world. All that this world has, you begin to feel separated from. Because you don't belong to it anymore. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You're not living the same. Relationships are changing. Desires, needs are changing. Attitudes are changing. Mindsets are changing. Remember, how does he transform us? By changing the way we think. This is God's work in us. You would never wake up one day and desire within yourself to be transformed as God transforms us. Now, good moral people, mankind, the created being, can transform their life. They could go from this to that, and from this to that. But it's in their own power. It is, it's in their own strength. 
And when they take their last breath, they're still separated from God. And how sad. How sad. Because within their own strength, within their own power, they became their own God. See, that's wrong with that's what's wrong with us, with the created. We want to remain in control. We want to remain in charge. But God is pleased to reveal himself to us. And in that revelation of Christ, and in that revelation of understanding that he is God, and in that revelation that he is the Son of God and that he is risen from the dead, we understand the reason why is because of us. He had to die. He had to take upon our wrath. He had to endure what he endured to get to the third day to be raised again. To set us free. He's defeated sin and death. And he takes the foolishness, the foolish things of this world (laughs) to confound the wise. The message of the cross, the message of Jesus is foolish to those who are blind. Those who are living for themselves. It makes no sense to them. But to those who are saved, to those who are being saved, to those that respond to that message of Jesus and the cross and of the resurrection, by faith they believe and they are born again of a new nature. Oh, are you born again? Are you living a new life? Are you being transformed by His power? Is your life changing that ultimately would bring Him glory and keeps Him as God and you humbled before Him? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, I'm giving us scriptures in hope that they would encourage you to continue to persevere. Don't settle. Don't back down. Keep pressing in. Keep moving forward. That is the, the direction of a life of a Christian. Movement moving forward. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Made alive with Christ. Once you were dead... Circle that, highlight that. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Oh, would you just take these scriptures this week and sit down with them, meditate upon them, pray through them, ask the Lord to give you the strength to not just be your hearer of the word, but to be the doer of the word, and that you would truly understand that you are, if you're a Christian, that you are in Christ. If you're not a Christian, understand whom you are serving. Satan. Self and the world. You're in rebellion towards God, the living God, who is revealing himself to you over and over and over and over again, and you keep resisting him. 
No matter how good you think you are, no matter what deception you're believing, if you haven't laid your life down, if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, if you do not have this belief and your confession transforming your life, you are living in rebellion towards God. But that's not where you belong. So come to Christ. Cling to Christ. Call upon Christ and be saved. So that when you read this scripture, you understand this is who you once were. You were were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, circle that, highlight that. He is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Highlight that, circle that, understand your position as a believer For he raised us from the dead. You're not to continue to lurk around with dead things or with dead people. Stop feasting off that which is death. You as a child of God do not belong there. It is not, you'll never be satisfied. Even if you're not a child of God. The dead things will never satisfy you. Your wholeness can only come from Christ. So if you're not in Christ, come to Christ. And if you are in Christ, remain in Christ. Because apart from Him, you could do nothing. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are unified with Christ Jesus so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He has planned for us 
long ago. God has planned for you to do good things, to live right, to honor Him, to love Him, to trust Him, to obey Him. Oh, that we would be awakened to truth. That we would know our God. That we would serve our God. That we would love our God. And it's not a burden to live as a Christian. Even when our lives and our circumstances aren't going the way that we believe they should go, we still trust in Him. We are still seated with Him. He is still working within us, bringing about good things, honorable things, trusting Him. That's why we don't cave and and give in so easily when life is throwing things at us left and right. It doesn't matter if there's a, 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 a sea in front of us and the enemy's charging behind us, God will make a way. See, when you know your God, when you know Him for who He is, When you understand Him, you have the assurance to stand. And that's why the Bible says, after you've done all you know to do, then stand. And stand therefore then, dressed in the armor of God. Because God is good and God is gracious and God is kind. Oh, that we would know our God, that we would live for our God. That we would make Him known as we go forth and we live life. Day in and day out. Listen again to that scripture. Verse 8. God saved you by His grace when you believed. Have you believed? Have you called upon the name of Jesus? Are you saved? Because you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. This is what we have to proclaim to others. Yes, He is a God of wrath. He is a God of anger. He is a God of vengeance against those who refuse Him, against those who remain in rebellion towards Him. And He's a just God for that. Because He's a God of love. I can't say it enough. Know your God. Know your God. But God, it says in verse 4, is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. This is the hope that we have. This is the good news that we ought to be sharing. And I keep encouraging us, are you sharing your faith? Are you living for Christ? If not, there is something wrong with your Christian life. You are to be sharing. You are to be, you are to be the light. Don't be intimidated any longer by Satan, by darkness, by people, by the culture. I'm not telling you to go out there and be a a nut job. I'm just telling you to go forth and live your life. Be a Christian, a hard worker, not caught up in the brouhaha and the chaos with the gossiping and the slander and the backbiting and the lust and all the other junk that is out there. No, you need to be a Christian. Maybe that's how you once were, but now you're living a life 
that is displaying the power of God. You take no credit for the transformation taking place in you. You only can point people to Jesus. That is your testimony. That is how you're to be living. Because you understand ah, the freedom and the love that Christ has bestowed upon you. Because God was pleased to reveal himself to you. This is the hope. That's why the Christian life is an exciting life. That's why the Christian life gives you perspective of the urgency of the hour and the culture and the dynamics of everything that's taking place. I can't say it enough. If you're not paying attention, pay attention to what's happening. Everything that we're seeing, it's all here. And I keep encouraging us, man could not have put this together for it to come about thousands of years later. It is God's plan. It is God's purpose. He is the creator and he loves us. This world is fading fast. This world will soon bear the weight of the wrath of God. <laughs> and the church to prepare for him. And a part of that preparation is to share it with others. Share the truth with others. Give them hope. Give them understanding. Allow them to see it lived out before them. They ought to be able to look at your life and say, well, you're not even the same. What has happened to you? And that's, but again, I tell you, to some you will be a fragrance of life, to others you will be a stench of death. Because they will choose to remain in rebellion towards God. People have a right to live however they want. People have a right to remain broken if they want. That is their choice. But that's why as Christians we're called to live a whole life. That yet though our life will not be perfect, yet though in this life we will have trouble, but Jesus says be of good cheer. See, that's the difference between those who are Christians and those who aren't. We have the hope of Jesus. Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've already overcame the world. See, you're on the winning side. You're on the right side. You're on the side that is connected to the source of life. He's, he's a life giver. And in him, we experience the fullness of life. We're not continuing to feast off the dead things of life. We're not feasting off the decay. We're not making choices and decisions and addicted to this and that and this and that and this and that because of our brokenness, because of the rebellious nature Remember, I keep telling you, the flesh only knows one thing, and it is to die. And it just keeps giving itself over to it. And not only does it keep giving itself over to it, it demands the right to have it. If I want to die, let me die. May not be the phrase that people are saying, but what they want so bad, they want to hold on to it, defines them, but yet it's destroying them. They fight to keep it. Christians, 
We are not to be fighting to hold on to the decay that wants to find us. <laughs> because we have been liberated. We understand life, not because of anything of us, <laughs> but all because of Him. All because of Him. And that's why the hope that we can find in the scriptures that I just read from Ephesians is that we are made alive with Christ. The crazy thing is, is once I, when I used to run amok in the world, people had no problem with me. Run amok with me. Run amok with me. I was broken. I was downtrodden. I was a hot mess. And no one had an issue. Everyone was fine. Just don't give me over to death. But the moment that I chose life, the moment that I responded to Jesus, a God that I hated, a God that I did my best to defame and to mock, the moment that I responded to him, and little by little my life began to change for the good. It wasn't harming anyone. It was for the good of me. I was changing. I was being healed. All of a sudden, people had problems with me. And it's not so much they had problems with me, they had problems with him. It's the most craziest thing. Darkness shrinks back from the light. And I went through a season of loneliness. My God. And I praise be to God, I praise God every day that He began this work in me, that He begins this work in you. Oh, there are many times I wanted to walk away from Him. There's many times I was like, God, this is too much. But He was always faithful. He was always kind. He was always loving. He would step in and He would remind me who He was. He didn't force me to stay. He didn't break my legs and break my arms and keep me down and oppress me. Oh, if you want to go, go. But may I remind you, what are you doing living? Your life is found in me, Rob. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Why would you go back to that? He never forced me to stay, but he would remind me. Of the value that I found in him. The hope that I found in him. That my faith and my belief was in him now. And so what if man was rejected me? So what if I couldn't live out of my desires and my wants? So what? My whole life was being turned upside down for the good. <laughs> for the good. And he gave me a passion for him a passion for his kingdom, and a passion for the loss. To tell others that they too could be made alive in Christ. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, scriptures I'm sharing in hopes to encourage you to persevere. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 through 14, and then we're going to go right into chapter 4 through verse 8. The dangers of the last days. Paul writes to this young preacher, Timothy. You should know this, Timothy. And that in the last days, 
there would be diff- very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Look at this, you all. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. So stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into the people's homes and win them win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Listen to this. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. These are the men who have crept into the church to defile the church with false teachings. These are men who have come in and have created a religion and slapped Jesus on it. And it's worldwide. It was then and so it is now and it will continue to be so. It's an all-out war against the faith in Christ. The enemy has the deed to the earth. But praise be to God, Jesus is returning and He's taking it back. It has to be returned back to Christ. Satan has the time that he has been given by God for God's purpose with the deed on this earth. And he's wreaking havoc. Listen to how the people were described. And the sad thing is, it's not so much those in the world, but he was describing people sitting in the church. You see, well, how do you know that? Look at verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. These are the people sitting in church who hold a form of religion. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And they got no fruit in their life. There's nothing transforming them. There's no power of God within them. And see, we're not ever told to stay away from those in the world, but we're told to stay away from those who just have a form and make a mockery of Christ. He goes on here. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I, I, what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about what I have, I'm sorry, you know all about how I was persecute, persecuted in Antioch and these other cities. But the Lord rescued me from all of it, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life, oh, perk up if you're a Christian, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. And that's why I have a passion over the past years to strongly encourage us, get rooted, you all. Know Christ. Get in the Word. Abide in Him. Remain in Him. There's a great deception. Deception has always been upon the earth, but it's, the levels are increasing. You go to bed, you wake up, the world is different. Within an hour, the world is different. There's a new level of deception that's taking place. The wicked will be prospering. The false teaching, the religion of the world, and even this false counterfeit Christian faith, it's going to increase while the level of persecution of the church of Christians is going to be intensified. And where is that being taught? How are we being prepared to endure such times? We're not to run for those times. We're not to fear those times. I keep encouraging as you were made for that time. I was made for that time. You were made for the times that are in hand. Uh, but Rob, that's too much. That, that's craziness. Oh, you've taken it to the extreme. Do you not hear what the Bible says? This young pastor is being encouraged. Like, listen, this is what's coming. And he goes on and he tells him in verse 14, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, circle that, highlight that, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us, listen to this, what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Again, the Christian life is not a burden life. It's not a life of burden. It's not a life of, oh God, I just can't enjoy life. No, again, it's a full life. <laughs> it's a whole life. And Scripture is vital. How many times I sit down with Christians and counsel them? And one of the first questions I ask is, tell me about your devotional time. And the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them, they have a blank stare. Or they start talking about what they do. Well, I try to get an hour of reading. I try to listen to it, you know, 30 minutes a day. I try or I do this or I do that. And they're missing out the significance of how, and how, how rich and beautiful it is to be devoted to Christ. And it's not something that, you're, that you try to do. It's just who you are. It's just who you are. It's just how you live. This world is not our home. He goes on, I, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, 
Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who would tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Ah, Jesus is coming, you all. Our lives are to be lived in honoring him. Back here, thousands of years ago, this young pastor was being informed of what today would be like and the days would be like. They're getting darker. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who would tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth. So don't be afraid of suffering. This is where we're at. And you say, well, what, what hope? Christ, you all. Christ. This is the hope. That's why we're not called to be gloom and doom and despair. No, you've got to know your God. That's why we're walking through scriptures, because I want you all to get to know God wherever you are on your walk with God. The more you get to know Him, the more that He reveals Himself to you, it changes you. And if it doesn't, it's because you are still refusing to believe. You are rejecting him. You are saying, no, 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 that is not. You can, keep, you can reveal to me all you want to reveal to me, God, about yourself, but I don't believe. And that is your choice. But in the end, remember, that was your choice. It is not God's desire to pour his wrath out on you. It is his desire to swallow you up in his love. You choose this day, life or death, blessing or cursing. You choose this day. God is pleased to reveal himself to us. God is pleased to, to make himself known. God is pleased to, 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 to lavish us with his love. Because God is good, and God is just, and God is kind, 
and God is love. Go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 through 21. The last scripture I'm going to share with you on encouraging you before we start walking through scripture. Oh, if you weren't here on Friday night, man, you missed a good teaching. But I'm going to give you just a little bit of what we heard. But we're going to focus on these two scriptures. In chapter 9, the wrath of God is being poured out. We have read chapters before in Revelation where the earth is feeling the weight of the wrath of God. But even in the midst of the weight of the wrath of God, there are still people being saved because of God's grace and God's love. His steadfast love endures forever. But He is giving the people of the earth at this time what they want. There is a restraint on the earth now. God fully, God engages now in turning people over to what they want. And that's a form of his wrath. And you can see that in Romans chapter 1. So if there is some form of his wrath as people are being turned over to what they want to worship, what they want to give themselves to. But in Revelation, when it begins chapter 9... All hell, the worst of the worst demons that have been locked up. The worst of the worst demons that have been locked up. Because demons are already running amok in the spiritual realm. But the worst of the worst are released. Read chapter 9. God is turning them over, the people of the earth, and this hour that we're reading about, to what they worship. Oh, you want darkness? You want that type of life? You want to continue to be controlled by evil? I'll release it all to you. I will give you the fullness of what you're asking of. And he does. And it is horrible what is on this earth. And listen to these last Two scriptures of chapter 9. All of this stuff is happening. One third of all the people of the earth are dead. We're going to read verse 21 and 20. I mean, 20, 20 and 21. All of this craziness is taking place. Verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues, still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their witchcraft, or their sexual moralities, or their thefts. <laughs> they refused to repent. They refused to acknowledge God. They refused life, and life in the abundance. Remember John 10, 10, Jesus says that I've come to give you life, and life and the abundance. It is the enemy that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
but I've come to give you life. But you just believe. What is it in the hearts of men and women who still refuse them? It's because they're still deceived and they're still clinging to what they want. This is who I am. This is how I live. And no one's going to change me. And no one's going to tell me otherwise. I'll do what I want. And they hold their fist up to God and they refuse him. We do it now. It's happening now. It's, it's been happening on this earth. And people will keep, keep reaping what they're sowing to. And God keeps turning them over. <laughs> but there's a time of coming. And God says, I've had enough. You want to feel the full weight of what you're choosing over me? You want to feel the full weight of death and decay? You want to feel the full weight of my wrath? You want to feel it? Oh, you're going to feel it. And instead of repenting, and instead of turning, they kept worshiping their way, their so-called truth, and their life. How's that? Let that not be said of you. Let that not be said of me, you all. The Christian life, listen, I don't want to ever paint it to be a, this glorious cloud-walking, kumbaya type of life. It's not. Do we just not hear what Paul was telling Timothy? You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. And that's why I keep sharing the, the stories of persecutions that are happening all around the world. All around the world. Where faithful people are losing their lives, losing their homes. They're being pushed out of society because they're Christians. And you say, and it's so, it seems so foreign to us, but it's happening right here in North America. Look what's going on in Canada. Look at what's happening in churches all throughout the United States. This is only the beginning. And people just keep showing up for church or turning on church, and it's not impacting their lives. They just go back to how they want to live. And the devil's fine with that because they still belong to him. But people who are faithful, people who are calling upon the name of the Lord, people who are desiring to live for God, they're being shut out. You're the ones who are the troublemakers. You're the ones who are preaching hate. You're the ones who are so divisive. You're the ones who won't bow down and behave. So we must do away with you. We must silence you. We must remove you from society. And the Bible tells us that's the days that are coming. And people laugh at that. Ah. Or they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's not funny. There's men and women and children who are losing their lives because they're Christians. And I keep telling you, oh, that you would get a spiritual understanding and stop living in this natural realm and being blinded by the demonic. I mean, I posted that testimony of that Satanist, that ex-Satanist. Go listen to it. 
understand the training and the things that they do and the things that happen on the dark side. I wasn't even near his level, but just the stuff that I did before Christ. The spiritual realm is real. And its desire is to destroy. But when your eyes are open, when your eyes are open, you will understand why it's so intense, the battle and the persecution of Christianity, why it has always been that way. Because the enemy does not want God to rule and to reign. Because in the natural, if we're just looking at the natural realm, and I keep saying this to us, why would you kill a group of people who are hard workers, they submit to authorities, they don't gossip, backbite, carry on like crazy people, they're not enslaved to everything that destroys, in fact, they contribute to society, they serve, they're truthful, honest people, why would you kill them? Why would you slaughter them at masses? Why would you do that? So you see, it's not the natural understanding of why it's happening. It's a spiritual understanding. Why innocent lives are being destroyed. Why they're being chased out of their homes. Do you understand what's happening over in Africa to Christians? Do you understand what's going on in the Middle East, in China, throughout Europe? It's crossed over now. It's on the northern side of us in Canada. Do you understand what's happening? Do you see how it's spreading just go live your faith out there in your day-to-day thing and watch how you're challenged. Like there's going to come a time where Christians on our side of the world are going to have to endure the hardship because we're not going to be embraced by society. We're going to look like the ones who are evil. And Jesus tells us all of So how's your Christian faith doing, you all? How are you living? Don't cling to this life. Don't cling to this life. Live your life. Live the full life. Go forth and live. And embrace life. Learn what it is to be a Christian. Not someone who just goes to church. Not someone who just has a form of religion. But truly understand him for who he is and who you are in him. There's no one else that can compare to God. He is the living God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He spoke and it formed. He came. He humbled himself to redeem us. To save us. No greater love than that will ever be displayed again to creation. And even the Bible captures and tells us that even the creation is longing for his return. Jesus, you all, he's real. He's not a, he's not a figment of someone's imagination. He's not just something that men have written about just to write a book. This is the eternal word of God, the living word of God. Yes, man penned it, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Only book ever written. 
that has been tried to be snatched out of the hands of the common people by the secular government, by secular institutions, and by the religions who claim Christ. Keep the word from the people. Lest it impacts them to know the truth. We want to rule over them. And so these religious institutions form an alliance with the secular governments and the secular groups will keep the people oppressed. Because ultimately they are ruled by Satan who thought he could overthrow the throne of God. And he never can, he never will. He knows his time is up. That's why when Jesus was on this earth and he was confronted and he faced demons, they shrieked, they screamed, and they say, is it our time? It wasn't their time yet. It is still not their time. There's still other craziness that has to happen for ultimately Jesus returns as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He rips apart that eastern sky and he takes that deed back. Oh, you got to study Revelation, you all. The hope that you have, it's not a book to be scared by. It is a book to be enriched by and to understand, like, this is our purpose. This is why I can get up every day, no matter how the world may react to me. And I can live. And I can love. And I can be a vessel. I can just share hope to others who are broken. Who are broken. Go to Judges chapter 17, verse, let me see, yeah, Judges chapter 17, and we're going to go through chapter 18. We're walking through the scriptures in hopes that we will get to know our God better. And it's vital that you understand the Old Testament, and if there's an understanding that as you're reading through the Old Testament, you're seeing Jesus in it, because that's what the Old Testament is all about, Jesus. It is pointing you to the Messiah. It is pointing you to the one who was mentioned in the garden that would come and to crush the head of Satan. God has set a people aside for himself. These aren't just good stories to read. These are actual events that took place. God set aside in this time of humanity, God set Israel aside for himself. He's delivered them. He's called them his own. He has made promises to them. He's, he's, he's made a covenant with them. He's established them to be set apart from the other nations of the earth so that he will be made known to the other nations. And yet, they keep refusing him. And yet, all through Judges, we see the cycles taking place. They get oppressed. They give themselves over to the other nations. They start worshiping with the other gods of the nations. They, all of a sudden, they forgot who God was. Because they forgot to con continue to tell the next generation coming up who God was. And so the next generation and the next generation and the next generation just gave themselves over to the other nations. But when they were oppressed, when they felt the weight of what they'd given themselves over, all of a sudden now they know God. Oh God, save us. God, we 
will worship you. It was, in fact, there was a few scriptures ago where God told him, nope, no, no, you have those gods save you. And they were like, no, God, we'll get rid of them. And he was so moved with compassion that again he sent forth a judge to beat back the captors and the oppressors and turn the people back to God. But now as we pick up in chapter 17 and 18, we're going to begin to see a transition from seeing specific judges raised up, and we're going to get a peek behind the scenes of how all of this began. They were, they were enticed to turn from God. There was a, name, a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you placed a curse on the people who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. The Lord bless you for admitting it, his mother replied. He returned the money to her and she said, I now dedicate these silver coins to the Lord. In honor of my son, I will have an image carved and an idol cast. Oh, he who has ears, let him hear. She's mixing idol worship with her faith in God. That can't happen. That can't happen. Somehow, now in the time of Israel, these people have turned completely from God, but let's keep a little bit of his truth among us. Oh, it's no different than today. People sitting up in church... They just want to keep living how they want to live, worship how they want to worship, and just slap Jesus' name on it. As if somehow that's honoring to God, and it's not. It's blasphemy. So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins and gave them to the silversmith, who made them into an image and an idol. And these were placed in Micah's house. Micah set up, oh my goodness, a shrine for the idol. And he made a sacred ephod and some, and some household idols. Remember the ephod? That was only to be worn by the priest. And now again, he's, he's, in, 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 um, he's combining the worship of Jehovah God with the worship of these false idols. Then he installed one of his sons, look at this, as a personal priest. He's doing everything that God has already done for them, but he's doing it in his own strength. And somehow he's comfortable with it. He's deceived. You're talking about deception? We're getting an understanding of what, how deception worked back then, and it's no different than this day. The enemy has nothing new, you all. In those days, Israel, look in, listen to this, had no king. You want to highlight something? You want to circle something? There it is, verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. As it is when people are not serving God. You see, God was to be their king. He was the one leading them. He was the one who called them out and there to be his people. 
they were not following him, so they did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. One day, a young Levite, who had been living in Bethlehem and Judah, arrived in that area. He had left Bethlehem in search of another place to live, and as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from, Micah asked him. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Stay with me, Micah said, and you can be a father and a priest to me. I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to, to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons, a false priest. Even though he's from the tribe of Levite, who were the people who were set apart for God, this guy assumes a role that he ought not to be assuming. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. I know the Lord will bless me. <laughs> now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. Ah, oh, come on, do you see what's going on? It's no different than today. People have the little charms, people have the little this, and people have the little that, and it's, oh, God's going to bless me. Look, I even go to church, or look, I have, I go, I go, and I do this, and I do that, and I do all the formalities of everything, and I'm okay with God. <laughs> Will our eyes not be open, you all, to see? I mean, really. It's no different. This guy is genuine in his faith. He really thinks that he's okay. He really thinks, like, look what I'm doing. This has to be pleasing to God. And now, look, how blessed am I going to be? I have my own priest. That is not how God set it up. That is not how God designed it. Now, in the days of Israel, had no king, and the tribe of Dan was trying to find a place where they could settle. Now, it's crazy because each of the tribes were told to go in and take the land. The tribe of Dan didn't. They were just wandering. For they had not yet moved into the land. Look at this assigned to them. When the land was divided among the tribes of Israel. So the men of Dan chose for their clans five capable warriors from the towns of Zorah and Eshtol to scout out a land for them to settle in. Does this not sound familiar for what we read before? When Joshua sent in the spies to spy out the land? See, there's nothing new underneath the sun. This is just perverse. These are people doing things in their own strength thinking that what they're doing is right. When all along they were assigned an area to conquer and they refused to. Because they're lazy. They didn't want to have to struggle. They wanted it easy for themselves. As it is with today. As soon as people get up, start moving forth in their walk with Christ, life hits them, people say whatever, and they give up and they give in and they just settle. How can I keep living a right life but not the right life? 
oh God, I believe, but uh, no God, I'd rather not do all that. <laughs> can't, there, can't I have just one foot in and one foot out? Isn't that okay, God? When the warriors arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, they came to Micah's house and spent the night there. While at Micah's house, they recognized the young Levite accent. So they went over and asked him, Who brought you here? And what are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them about his agreement with Micah and that he had been hired as Micah's personal priest. Then they say, Ask God. They're not even living for God. But now all of a sudden they want to hear from God. And they're asking a false priest. They're asking someone who doesn't even have a relationship with God. But he has the title of someone that does. And there's a lot of men who are standing up in churches today that are just holding the form of a title and they have no relationship with God. Be careful who you're listening to. Ask God whether or not our journey will be successful. Go in peace, <laughs> the peace replied, the priest replied, for the Lord is watching over your journey. So the five men went on to the town of Laish, where they noticed the people living, listen to this, carefree lives, like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was fertile. And they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. When the men returned to Zorah and Eshtol, their relatives asked them, What did you find? The men replied, Come on, let's attack them. We have the land and it is very good. What are you waiting for? Don't hesitate to go and take possession of it. When you get there, you will find the people living carefree lives. God has given us a special, I mean, a spacious and fertile land lacking in nothing. Do you see the difference from the spies' report before? When they were told to go in and scout, they came back. Only two of them told them, God will give us this land. The other ones, they're like, oh no, they're, they're too big of a people. We can't do this. We can't conquer this. The contrast here, the difference here now is these spies come back. They think God is on their side. And now they're telling the tribe, listen, we're going to go in and take it. And the reason why they knew they could take it is because this place was of no threat. These were people who were not people of war. So God wasn't giving them anything. The land that God had for them was over here. They refused because they didn't want the fight, the battle. They wanted no struggle. They wanted to go where they know they could win. So 600 men from the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out for Zorah and Eshtul. They camped at the place west of Kirajurim in Judah, which is called Manadan, and to this day, they then went on from there into the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. The five men who had scouted out the land around Laish explained to the others, these buildings contain a sacred ephod. Now they're looking at that ephod that was created, which is not the sacred one at all, as well as some household idols and carved image and a cast idol. 
what do you think we should do? Then the five men turned off the road and went over to Micah's house, where the young Levite lived, and greeted him kindly. As 600, men, 600 armed warriors from the tribe of Dan stood at the entrance of the gate, the five scouts entered the shrine and removed the carved image, the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the cast idols. Meanwhile, the priest was standing at the gate with the 600 armed warriors. When the priest saw the man carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, What are you doing? Be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and a priest to all of us. Isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? The priest was quite happy to go with them, so he took along the sacred ephod, the household idols, and the carved image. They turned and started on their way, placing their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. When the people from the tribe of Dan were quite a distance from Micah's house, the people who lived near Micah came chasing after them. They were shouting as they called up with them. The men of Dan turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter? Why have you called these men together and chased, us, chased after us like this? What do you mean, what's the matter? Micah replied, You have taken away all the gods I have made and my priests, and now I have nothing left. But the men of Dan and said, watch, watch what you say. There are some short-tempered men around here who might get angry and kill you and your family. So the men of Dan continued on their way. When Micah saw that there were too many of them he, for him to attack, he turned around and went home. Then with Michael's idols and his priests, the men of Dan came to the town of Laish, where people were peaceful and secure. They attacked with swords and burned the town to the ground. There was no one to rescue the people, for they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. This happened in the valley near Beth Rahab. The people of the tribe of Dan rebuilt the town and lived there. They renamed the town Dan after their ancestor, Israel's son, but it had originally been called Laish. Then they set up the carved image, and they appointed Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, as their priest. This family continued as priests for the tribe of Dan until the exile. So Micah's carved image was worshipped by the tribe of Dan as long as the tabernacle of God remained at Shiloh. Oh, there's a lot that we can learn there. Is your worship pure? Is your worship honorable? It ought to be. You ought to know your God. These people settled for a false God. And not only that, there's another lesson you can learn here. This people of this town that were slaughtered and overtaken, do you see what they did wrong? They had no allies. They were just doing life on their own. We're okay. It's okay. Let's just live life on our own. We don't need connection. We don't need allies. We're on our own. We can do this. They sought strength within themselves and they were slaughtered by the people of Dan who were in complete rebellion to God. And as it is, as we see today, those who are not with God, they end up turning on each other and devouring each other. It is the most craziest thing. If you look in the culture, Groups of people that would not, in their own right, from what they believe, would never come together. But they will come together 
against Christians. They will unite against the purpose of God. And they will unite at some point to destroy the other when they feel the other is gaining more ground than them. It's the same concept. It's the same plan from the beginning till the end. Mankind, in his own ignorance, thinks he's wise. Oh, let us not be motivated by the rebellious side of our nature. Because if you're in Christ, you've died to that side. And now you're to live a life in the Spirit. The life-giving Spirit. And you're to honor God. Nothing good comes from the flesh. And that's what we're seeing all through this. Nothing good is coming from their twisted ideals of how they think they ought to be worshiping God. If they would have just followed God, things would have gone different for them. But they chose to go their own way. Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows whether, wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up on the as and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. Oh, perk up, highlight this, circle this. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for, for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. This is Jesus talking to you all. These are Jesus' words. A religious man, Nicodemus, came. And maybe his heart was sincere. Maybe his heart really wanted to know the truth. And yet he couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was patient. And Jesus explained exactly what was needed. You must be born again. I remember the time, in this time, in this age, the Pharisees, they knew Scripture. They knew the Holy Word. They knew about the Messiah. They knew all the prophecies. They knew everything from back and forth, left and right. And yet, instead of leading people to God, they kept people from God. They burdened them with so many laws. They, they wanted to remain in control and in position of money and power. They were highly invested in controlling people. And yet, here's one who comes. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. How can this be, he says, of the Spirit? Of the Spirit. And Jesus lays out this understanding. And he even goes back to the teachings of Moses. Because he knew the Pharisees would understand. He, he used something to reveal himself to this Pharisee. Just as Moses. Remember, back here when we read, all those people were being bitten by snakes and they were all dying because they were rebelling against God. So for physical healing, God told Moses to take it up and he raised up that bronze snake and anyone who looked upon it physically were healed. And Jesus is trying to make Nicodemus understand it's not just the physical that you ought to be concerned about. There is a spiritual part of life that is most important. Because just as that snake was raised up, the Son of Man, listen to that, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He was already prophesying, he was already speaking forth the cross. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then he says, and this is love. This is love. This is my purpose. This is God's purpose. He loved the world so much. The world. The created. Who were in complete rebellion towards him. Who hated him. God showed his love toward them. Can that just not shatter the image that we carry about God that is wrong? God, you all. He didn't have to. But because His nature, God is love. From His love, He sent forth His Son. That whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. You see, the Bible tells us he didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. And that's why I tell you, please know Scripture. Please get rooted in Scripture, because people take that verse and they twist it to give them the right to live however they want. Don't judge me. God doesn't judge me. I can live however I want. 
God loves me. That's just half truth. There's a lot of people who know it's about God's love. But I tell you, ask them the next question. But what about Jesus? I don't want to talk about Jesus. God's love is enough for me. No, no, no. It is because of God's love that Jesus came. If it was all just God's love that was going to save us, Jesus wouldn't have to have come. It is because of his love and the vital necessity of the Son of God coming to be the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, of the rebellious. He defeats sin and death, the power that has kept the created enslaved. And he has set them free from it. This is the hope that we have, you all. He set us free from it, if we would just believe. But then he goes on. The world already stands judged. The world, the created, is going to feel the wrath of God because they turned from God. So Jesus didn't come to judge the world because the world is already judged. He came because of his love for the world, for the created, to save them. And that's why I keep giving you this picture. He wraps us up in his love. He he pours his love upon us and he draws us to himself. And he saves us from his wrath. And he is just because of it. Because way back here, Adam and Eve, they listened to a serpent that crept in to the garden where they were complete fellowship with God. Life was good. They had all that they ever wanted. They walked with God. They talked with God. They lived in paradise. The enemy crept in. And so did doubt. Did God really say? See, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. And they bid into that. And then all of a sudden, they were naked. They knew they were naked for the first time since they were created. And they felt shame. They felt, God didn't have to say anything. God hasn't said anything yet. They just knew something's different. And they hid. No one had to say anything. God hasn't even said that. They just knew something is different now. And they hid. And they covered themselves. They tried to make it right. And then God came into the garden. Knowing good and well what already happened. Because remember, the cross was already purposed even before the garden was formed. The earth was formed. He breathed, breathed, took, took his breath and breathed into the nostrils of man. No, all of that, before all of that was even created, the cross was already purposed. Creation was going to know the love of God. God's plan, God's purpose, from the beginning to the end, to have a people that he will call his own, and in return, they will call him their God. Love will be displayed throughout eternity. This is our God. But God steps into this garden 
Now the created has fallen. They've turned from him. And instead of laying the hammer down on them as he could have, he remembers the plan. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they stepped out. Oh God, it's not just a beautiful picture of his mercy and of his grace. He could have just blew those bushes away and there they were. And he could have just laid up on them. No, no, no. Where are you? Carrie, Michelle, Gio, Norma, Rob, where are you? Because you don't belong there. It's what he says to every created person born. I remember they came out before him, covered. And he was like, basically, what's wrong with you? And they're like, we're naked. Who told you you were naked? What have you done? He's given them the opportunity to confess, to allow it to be known what they have done and their own strength. And they had to feel the weight of their sin. He removed them from his presence. And he looked at the serpent and he announced it then and there, the Messiah. There's going to come one who's going to crush your head. And all of this will be made new again. This is beautiful, you all. And since that day, every human that has been born has been in complete rebellion against God. But God so loved the world, so loves the created. Because we're made in his image. He sent forth his son. Go collect them. Go collect them. Oh, that's beautiful. No man could ever pen a story like this. This is God's word spoken. Go to Psalm 104. Just verse 1 through 23. Psalm 104. The God of creation, you all. Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. Yes. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You place the world on its foundation so it can never be moved. You clothe the earth with floods of water. Water that covered even the mountains. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank and and to levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. You make springs pour water into the ravens so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly throne. 
and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, oil, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. The trees of the Lord are well cared for. The cedars of Lebanon, Lebanon that he planted. The birds make their nests and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats. The rocks from a refuge form a refuge for the hyraxes. You've made the moon and to mark the seasons and the sun knows where to set. You send the darkness and it becomes night. When all the forest animals prowl about, then the young lions roar for their prey, stalking the food provided by God. At dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest. Then people go off to work when they labor on, where they labor until evening. This is God, you all. He's provided for everything that He's created, from the created to the creation. He's provided it all. He's God. Proverbs, ending in Proverbs chapter 14. Two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs 14, verse 20 and 21. The poor are despised even by their neighbors, while the rich have many friends. It is sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Oh, that we would be a compassionate people. A people who love the Lord and who love others. I'm going to close this with a song of worship. And then I'll close this in prayer. Bye.
and rain I can hear you call my name Oh, oh, oh. 